This Janet Meffer Today podcast is brought to you by Preborn. For $140, you can provide ultrasounds to five women in crisis pregnancies. Call now, 855-601-BABY. That's 855-601-2229 or visit preborn.com. This is Janet Mefford Today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the Word of God says it, I believe it! And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Let's talk a little bit here about the growing problem of censorship. We have been discussing this for quite a while as it pertains to social media. And it was interesting to me when the CEO of Twitter, Jack Dorsey, just stepped down a couple of days ago. There were some people who thought that would be a good thing. And immediately those in the know started posting and saying, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. This new guy who took the helm, the new CEO, Parag Agrawal, looks to be even worse. And they were showing some tweet evidence from him that if you can't separate Muslims from extremists, then why should I separate whites from racists? You know, that's never a good sign. You just look at somebody's Twitter feed. It's the mirror to the soul, as far as I'm concerned. Then they come out with this new privacy policy, basically saying that you have to get the permission of any private individual about whom you want to post media. So for example, if you, it sounds like if you want to make a funny meme, like so many conservatives do pointing out liberal hypocrisy and you have a picture of a private individual in that meme, that's against the rules. It would be removed. Maybe you would be kicked off Twitter. You can't put photos. You can't put videos. Now think about the implications of this because One of the most effective things for getting the word out on social media is when just normal people, regular people who aren't in the media, will post, for example, videos of what the leftists are doing on the city streets of America, looting and robbing and burning things and doing this and doing that. I mean, it's been really important for people to be able to do that because the mainstream media is never going to report it and they're certainly not going to show the footage. How else would you know what Antifa is really up to in Portland if it weren't for people like Andy Ngo? He's posting all these videos of what's actually going on on the streets of Portland and it's it's been a wonderful public service. Or what about the TikTok videos showing what liberals are saying? These teachers who have been caught, for example, saying and doing terrible things in their classrooms and because they're dumb enough to put out a TikTok video bragging about their their views or bragging about what they did in the classroom, the parents suddenly are informed. How else are you going to be able to find out about this stuff unless you regularly troll TikTok, which most adults are not doing, or even something like the Kyle Rittenhouse situation where you would see particular views of the video footage of that night when he was involved in the shootings, but you saw it from the wrong angle or you didn't see footage that you should have seen in order to put it into context, which was so important during his recent trial. That's all going to be off limits on Twitter. And I'll tell you what, I don't know if it's going to cause more people, hopefully, to leave Twitter or if it will cause Congress to finally take action. I'm a little bit more of the opinion that people will leave before Congress does anything because they've had years to do stuff about this and they haven't done anything, Republicans or Democrats, except do show trials and yell into the camera and then tweet about themselves. That's not going to do it. I'm a little weary of politicians looking at the, the moment in history in which we're living and they would prefer to say strongly worded tweets and put out strongly worded tweets rather than actually buckle down and do something about some of these people who are just destroying America as we know it. Now, let's move on to another issue having to do with censorship. You might have noticed 
that a woman by the name of Gigi Sohn was on Capitol Hill yesterday. Her hearing took place on Capitol Hill. She is Biden's pick to head up the, not head up, but to serve on the Federal Communications Committee. Now, I slipped up a little bit there because one of the issues that came up during the hearing was whether or not there would be another bait and switch. This has happened before where somebody gets onto a board, onto some powerful agency leadership role, and then after they get onto the board, oops, now they're going to be in charge of it. And so this was something Gigi Sohn was questioned about at the hearing. Now, a little background on her. She is described as a pro-censorship radical. Um, This is what Breitbart had to say about her. The fact that she has been involved in some very troubling actions, uh, and now she's going to be on the FCC potentially. As they point out, just as the commission can protect consumers from tech censorship, it can also use its regulatory might to pressure tech companies to submit to a partisan left-wing agenda. And that's why they should all be relatively nonpartisan, anybody sitting on that board. This woman was co-founder and CEO of the leftist advocacy group known as Public Knowledge, which recently called on cable and satellite providers to drop the conservative One America News Network. As an FCC commissioner, Sohn would be in a position of influence over cable and satellite providers. She also personally called on the FCC to investigate whether the Sinclair Broadcast Group, which is a conservative-run network of local TV stations, should hold a broadcast license. And as a commissioner, she will be able to do just that. But one of the most troubling things that has come up about her is, of course, her tweets. Like I said, mirror to the soul. Her tweets specifically pertaining to Fox News. What a shock, right? Tucker Carlson talked about this with one of the Fox Business senior correspondents, Charles Gasparino, and he answers this question, who is Gigi Sohn? This is cut one. Telecom lawyer, activist, um, you know, essentially a far left progressive in the telecom business. And, uh, you know, she comes out against mergers, but she does more than that. She advocates for certain types of speech from her from her perch. I think she's at Georgetown. She she runs something called Public Knowledge. It's a George Soros backed organization. So I know you brought up Soros before. He's all he's all over the place in the Biden administration, particularly with her. Um, listen, one of the things I think that's scary about this is that the Federal Communications Commission is a super powerful organization. It affects all sorts of business. It affects our lives in so many different ways, from everything from what we receive here, what you see on the screen. She's going to be put in the perch, essentially, to regulate some of that stuff. And that includes, to a degree, speech. Now, obviously, there's a First Amendment, and obviously, cable is not totally regulated by in the same ways by the Fairness Doctrine as as regular television. But she she could have a say. She could have a say in what tech does. She could have a say in what tech doesn't allow on. And she could have a say, theoretically, if she pushes, and she's a radical, what we're seeing on the air right now. It is not beyond the possibilities. And she is really scary. I mean, look, listen, all you, you can look at her own words. Well, this is very important because then he goes on to read some of the tweets that she has put out, this nominee, Gigi Sohn. Listen to cut two. But if you look at some of these tweets, they're fascinating. For all of my concerns about Facebook, I believe Fox News has had the most negative impact on our democracy. It's state-sponsored propaganda with few, if any, opposing view, view, viewpoints. Where's the hearing about that? She was literally calling for a hearing on Fox News about Fox News because she doesn't like what we say. She doesn't like the opinion. She doesn't. I mean, this is really out. We're the one outlet on television with a different view. Everyone else is monochromatic. Everyone else is saying exactly the same thing. 
One channel that you subscribe to has a different view, and she thinks we need hearings to shut it down. All right. Now, they obviously are talking from the viewpoint as Fox News employees and how it could potentially affect their own network. But I have honed in on radio as well. And it hasn't been talked about quite as much, although the Daily Caller has pointed out that Sohn has received criticism from the National Association of Broadcasters, which is a broadcast network industry trade group, very powerful lobbying presence in Washington. They called attention to Sohn's work at Lowcast, which is a now defunct streaming service that illegally retransmitted TV broadcasts. That's one issue. But I have long wondered when these censors get done with the Internet when are they going to go after broadcasters? And you bet that impacts people like me, potentially, or people who are on other Christian radio stations. It could affect TV stations, not just Christians, but also those who have a conservative opinion. So this has some very, very um, potentially problematic implications, and it's nothing to be taken lightly. It really is disgusting, if you ask me, that there is not more of a concerted effort to put really neutral people on the FCC, at least not people who are open and obvious about their disdain for particular broadcasters or particular TV channels and just wear their politics on their sleeves all the time. Enough with the activists serving in positions of power where the people desperately need neutral leaders. And this is one of them. Now, when we come back from this break, I'm going to get into a couple of cuts. Uh, This was really great. Senator Dan Sullivan of Alaska did some wonderful questioning of Gigi Sona. And I want you to hear what he had to say and more importantly, what she had to say. We're going to come back on Janet Meffer today after this. This is Janet Mefford for Bible League International. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. These words written early in John's Gospel remind us in this Advent season that God sent His Son to be our Lord and Savior. But many Christians in Asia, Africa, Latin America, and the Middle East have never read those words or the Christmas story in Luke 2. Why? Because they have no access to the Bible. So in this season of giving, please join Bible League in sending God's Word to Bibleist believers around the world for only five $5 or $50 for 10 Bibles, $500 for 100. Call 800-YESWORD. That's 800-YES-WORD. Or there's a Bible League banner at JanetMefford.com. I've seen people being changed by reading the scripture. There are those who have been looking for the scripture for a number of years. Giving a Bible to somebody is the greatest gift you can give somebody in life. That's 800-YESWORD. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. Over the past several weeks, I've been thrilled to see so many of you step up to rescue over 75 families through the ministry of Heart for Lebanon. Thank you for providing survival essentials. But most importantly, we're grateful that you've helped share the hope of the gospel with hurting refugee and poverty-stricken Lebanese families. If you didn't get a chance to participate, please know the need in Lebanon remains urgent. It's never too late to give. Visit heartforlebanon.org to find out more. That's heartforlebanon.org. 
If you're looking for adventure, serving as a volunteer on the Mercy Ship is an adventure like no other. And you'll be serving on the largest non-governmental hospital ship in the world, providing free care to some of the world's poorest people. Whether it's performing a surgery, cleaning the deck, or transporting a patient to a recovery center, every day you'll be making a difference in the lives of struggling people. Begin your adventure today. Connect with us at mercyships.org. It's an adventure of a lifetime. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Keep an eye on censorship because what you experienced or saw other people experiencing around the 2020 election probably was just a warm up. Now we've got this radical progressive activist, Gigi Sohn, appearing yesterday before the Senate Commerce Committee, the Senate Commerce Committee, uh, facing some stiff questioning on some of the things that she has put out there for public consumption, not the least of which was some very over-the-top remarks about Fox News. Why does this matter so much? Because Fox News is pretty much the only mainstream channel that is giving a conservative viewpoint, not making fun of it or marginalizing it. I wouldn't even put them necessarily as far right by the longest shot. There are a lot of people on Fox News who I think have no business being there for various reasons, but at least they will allow conservative opinions and they do have some conservative hosts there. And it is so lopsided because you know how everybody else is. You know how the big three networks are and NPR and you, you know, your public broadcasting TV station, I should say, and also all of the cable channels, CNN, fake news, MSNBC, basically radicals, you know, you're not getting journalism on these TV stations. And of course, go after Fox News. They're the ones to go after. This was really great. Senator Dan Sullivan of Alaska grilled her. And he did some tremendous questioning, I thought, raising the issue that Sohn picks on Republicans in her tweets, which is a very serious issue because of the role she would play at the FCC. And he pointed out that the FCC has enormous power regarding free speech. He began with a comment here on her tweet about Fox News being state-sponsored propaganda. This is cut three. Fox News has had the most negative impact on our democracy. It is state-sponsored propaganda. That's one of your tweets, one of your many tweets. So how is Fox News state-sponsored propaganda? And is MSNBC state-sponsored propaganda, too? Remember, this goes directly to the power you're going to have. This is not some kind of random tweet. Millions of Americans watch that news station. I happen to. I don't think it's state-sponsored propaganda. We needed a conservative viewpoint in America media, which obviously you don't like. So talk to me about state-sponsored propaganda. Yeah, Senator, before I explain the tweet, I'd like to explain the context. And also, I would also like to remind folks that um, among my supporters are the two most... I, you, know, I, 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 you know how this committee works. I'm going to be respectful, but I need to interrupt. Okay, please. Because I don't have a lot of time. Just address the tweet. I don't need the context. I don't need to hear about your supporters. You are going to be in charge of regulating news agencies like Fox News, and you're calling them state-sponsored propaganda. How can you do that as an honest broker when you've already put out... You are also called that Sinclair broadcasts whether... You, you, you had the F, you called for the FCC to investigate whether they're qualifi- qualified to be a broadcast licensee at all. You are clearly indicating your bias against more conservative news sources. And yet you are now up for confirmation of one of the most powerful positions in America on free speech. 
I think that disqualifies you completely. Well said, Senator. A lot of us agree with you. So how did she explain away that tweet that she put out about Fox News? This is cut for. I was tweeting uh, during a hearing on Section 230 and where the point was being made that big tech companies were, you know, the most harmful to our democracy. How is just um, again, how is Fox News state sponsored propaganda and how it is how has it had, quote, the most negative impact on our democracy? These are your words. Those, exactly. That was as a as a public interest advocate, as part of my job. Those were my words. Those were my opinions. But they will have no bearing on how I would act if I'm confirmed as an FCC commissioner. What about questioning the broadcast license? That would be your job of Sinclair Broadcasting. I mean, are you going to recuse yourself on anything relating to Fox News or Sinclair Broadcasting? So let me talk about Sinclair Broadcasting. Actually, I think it's a good question. I just ask you, are you going to recuse yourself if confirmed? Senator, I am talking with the office. I've assigned a, uh, an ethics agreement with the Office of Government Ethics. If there is any question about my bias, uh, I will consult with them and see if I need to recuse. Well, I think these tweets are clearly evidence of bias. Uh, case closed. I don't know what else there is to say. Here she's giving the opportunity to explain how she can claim Fox News is state-sponsored propaganda. She won't answer the question. She dodges it, tries to change the subject, and then says, oh, don't worry. Yeah, those are my words. But, you know, that's not going to have anything to do with my work, uh, you know, working with the FCC. It just won't have any bearing. Okay, well, fine. If something comes up about Fox News, will you recuse yourself? You know, no. Uh, you know, I'll sign an ethic. Blah, 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 blah. All right. You told us everything we need to know. You told us everything we need to know. Coming in there is a waste of time because everybody already knew what your position was and everybody already knew what your tweeting was all about. It's just an insult to the American people that Biden would even put anybody like this up for confirmation. But, you know, that's just the way radicals roll. I just wanted you to know what's going on with your government. Hopefully she will not make the cut. She has no business being there. Meanwhile, I want to hop across the pond here for a couple of minutes because this is just getting to be, as you know, coming close to Christmas, the time of year when the radicals come out to play. And the European Commission has now retracted internal communication guidelines that had proposed substituting the Christmas period With holiday period, this was after an outcry by conservatives and the Vatican, and the Vatican termed this document, this EU draft, an attempt to cancel Europe's Christian roots. This is from the Associated Press. Now, this was kind of funny because they had a discussion about this over on a British news channel uh, talking about this woke insanity. This was over on GB News. Listen to Cut 5. EU has been trying to ban the word Christmas, apparently, because it's not inclusive and potentially offensive. Please say this isn't true, Tamandra. Well, it was a leaked internal EU Commission document. So uh, Helena Daly, who is a Commissioner for Equality, launched an internal guide. And while they were drafting, it got leaked to Italian daily Il Giornale, which means the daily. And, uh, and it included things like, well, uh, you, should, you should replace the words, ladies and gentlemen, by dear colleagues. And I'm afraid my first thought was, that's never going to work at the circus, is it? Rick Masson was the same. 
Good evening, dear colleagues, boys and girls. Yeah. Uh, it was very frivolous. So, um, yeah, there was things about you shouldn't ever assume everyone's Christian, so maybe it's exclusive to refer to elements of Christian culture. Uh, and <laughs> my favourite bit was they, the expression colonisation of Mars is considered negative because it's reminiscent of colonialism, and it'd be better to use sending humans to Mars. And I'm thinking, come on, this is finally we've found a place to colonise that we're not actually nicking from anybody that lives there already. Finally, we can colonise with a clear conscience because Mars is empty. You know, no, don't, you know, don't you know, locusts are going to are going to say that we're we're taking land away from whatever like from the waterborne bacteria like anyway, lives but, there. Oh, but my the God. end of the story is that. Uh, there was an official complaint and the EU commissioner was forced to withdraw the guidelines and she did say, look, it was only a draft and we've, we've read the room and we're not going to, we're not going to use them. Oh, uh, how, so, many, yeah. how many terrible things have started with drafts? Yeah, you read the room after the Pope called and said, what are you guys doing? <laughs> you read the room. That's a big room over at the Vatican. I just think this is so incredible. They're against talking about colonizing Mars. Who exactly will be offended by using the term colonizing? It's ridiculous, as they were discussing. What, are you going to offend the bacteria? You're going to offend the dust? The dust is going to be outraged? Oh, they probably think so. Again, this is a reminder on how important it is when you do have people in power to make sure that they are clear thinking people in power. Here's what's really funny. These commentators you were just listening to say, we're not Christians, but we're all for saying Merry Christmas. We're all for holding up Christmas in the UK. What's the problem? Listen to this. Cut six. Well, this this shows how systemically woke and out of touch our institutions are. I mean, all right, it's the EU, so it's not our institution anymore. But I mean, the same thing's happening across across the UK. And uh, yeah, I mean, this this worries me. I mean, Britain is. I don't think it's bad to say a Christian country. I'm not a Christian myself, uh, but it's no, a Christian was, country. Yeah. And if you say Merry Christmas to someone, you're not assuming that they're a Christian. You're saying that's, Merry Christmas because it's a holiday. Exactly. It's just a nice thing. Yeah. Why can't we have nice things anymore? I'm the same. I'm an atheist, but I, I celebrate Christmas. Yeah. Uh, but for that matter, this week I've been saying Happy Hanukkah to my. Jewish friends, several of whom went, yeah, you, you, you're kind of bigging up the peace and love. Actually, it's a celebration of a successful armed uprising against <laughs> occupying power. I'm like, also sounds good. Now, what I find interesting about those remarks isn't so much that you have non-Christians taking a reasonable position of noting that what is wrong with saying Merry Christmas, nothing is wrong with saying Merry Christmas, and there's nothing wrong with having a Christian country. Boy, that'll send some people into orbit if you say that even here in the United States, despite our history and despite our roots. What I find very interesting and telling about that particular discussion is they reduce it to saying it's just something nice. It's just something nice. Why can't we say something nice? And I think, boy, is that the understatement of the year? Boy, is that the understatement of the year. When we celebrate Christmas, it's not about Santa and his elves, and it's not about Rudolph and his sleigh. It's about the birth of the Savior of the world. It's about God coming down as a baby and becoming human in order to save you and to save me from the penalty and the price and the eternal damnation that we deserve for having rebelled against that same holy God who became an incarnate baby. It's just mind-blowing. I never get over it. I never get tired of revisiting the significance of Christ coming to earth for us when he didn't have to. And so many times I wish we could just have this discussion with some of these people on these TV shows. Can we talk about what life is really all about? The sin problem. 
and what Jesus solved when he came to live, to live a perfect life in conformity to God's law and to become the Lamb of God who took away the sin of the world. Do you know what that means for you eternally? Let's talk about that and leave aside the politics of it for a moment. And that's where it's so important for Christians to do their job. We'll come back. This Janet Meffer Today podcast is brought to you by Preborn. For $140, you can provide ultrasounds to five women in crisis pregnancies. Call now, 855-601-BABY. That's 855-601-2229 or visit preborn.com. This is Janet Mefford Today. And now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. Well, we're going to get into some more coverage of the very important Dobbs case heard yesterday before the Supreme Court. But it really raises an important issue because we often hear from pro-abortion advocates that pro-lifers only care about fetuses and not about the lives of women. We hear versions of this all the time. This has never been true, of course, but maybe we need to more deeply understand the abortion issue and consider some ways that our churches can get more involved, both in promoting life and helping women in crisis. And we're going to talk about that today with Natasha. Smith from the nonprofit ministry Save the Storks. She and Brittany Smith are out with a new book we'll be discussing called Unplanned Grace. Great to have you with us, Natasha. How are you? I'm doing well, Janet. Thank you so much for having me today. Well, it's great to have you. I'm wondering why you think, first of all, the pro-abortion side always seems to be bringing up this point that pro-lifers don't care about women when there's so much evidence to the contrary. You look at crisis pregnancy centers and a lot of things that churches do. How do you react or respond to that charge when you hear somebody saying that pro-lifers don't care about women? I think it's proof that we just haven't listened. We haven't listened to each other or had a conversation that was healthy because that attitude and that assumption just shows to me that they haven't done their research and they haven't actually paid attention to the pro-life movement. And, and if you just look at media, that's easy to believe. You know, it's easy to believe if you just read it on the headlines. But when you go into a pregnancy center or you talk to a woman who has experienced an unplanned pregnancy and was served by the staff of a pregnancy center and given all of this care at no charge, you can't argue with the fact that they are pro-woman. And those women are powerhouses and able to stand on their feet and not be a victim of their circumstance. And I think that's a huge huge difference between the the two perspectives. Well, it is. And when you make this argument that being pro-life is akin to being pro-woman, that's something feminists obviously would reject who are on the side of supporting abortion or what they call reproductive rights all the time. How is it that being pro-life really is being pro-woman? What are all the overlaps there that really make the case for that? Oh, there, there are so many. Uh, the, the first one, I think, is that we want to ensure that women are fully educated on all of their options. And so I have heard story after story of, of certain places not offering women all of the options or all of the information, not being able to see the ultrasound, not knowing about all of the government or uh, local aid. In fact, 79% of women who had abortions said that they were never counseled about resources that were available to them if they were to choose life. And so education is a huge factor in ensuring that women are 
fully um, equipped to make the best decision for them. And uh, so that's a huge one. And then with 73% of abortions happening because of economic circumstances, a big side too is how much and how willing the pro-life movement is willing to step up and care for women experiencing economic trials. And they are. There is just countless examples. And in our book, Unplanned Grace, we go into uh, so many varieties of the barriers that women face and how pro-life advocates and and both individuals, pregnancy centers, and other pro-life nonprofits serve women. They're very solutions-focused. They want to hear a woman's story understand what trials are are facing her and then meet her needs where she is so that she can actually rise above her circumstances and not be a victim to them. Well, now, when you are using this statistic, 73% of women who get abortions have some kind of terrible economic circumstances. That's obviously a very high number. But give us a snapshot of who these women are, because I think for a lot of us, we, we see all kinds of different statistics about women who've had abortions. You have Hollywood celebrities shouting their abortions. So it can be confusing as to who really is having abortions. Uh, what are the actual breakdowns in terms of the 73 percent? Would that be a more inner city abortions that, you know, how, how does it all break down? Mm-hmm. That's a great question. Unfortunately, I don't have all the numbers specifically in front of me, but I do know that the Guttmacher Institute has those breakdowns, uh, number by number, but the majority still um, are African-American inner city individuals, those who come from Latino university. The least amount of abortions occur in um, in married couples, and so these are unmarried women. They're afraid of, um, and often they have... um, unstable relationships. So they're afraid of being a single parent and they maybe don't have solid employment. And so typically it would be more urban, uh, inner city, uh, international or not international, but intercultural communities. And so again, when we care about uh, either the world and every individual within it, we need to remember that, you know, the whole topic of abortion was started with with systemic racism. And that is something that we need to be fighting against because we we actually believe that every human life is valuable, including the unborn, but also those who are on hard times or maybe have never had a stable family background. And pro-life organizations, including pregnancy centers, are willing to walk alongside any woman or man who is experiencing an unplanned pregnancy and help them get on their feet and break the cycles of poverty or poor relationships that they might be experiencing. Yeah. Now, when you make that reference to systemic racism, I'm imagining that you're referencing Margaret Sanger and the original eugenics focus of uh, what became Planned Parenthood. And, you know, it's ironic. A lot of people still don't know, Natasha, that Planned Parenthood has opened these huge abortion centers specifically in cities targeting the populations that you've named. And that that for a lot of pro-lifers is very frustrating because they're saying, well, what can we do about that? They, they have these huge centers. They're making these overtures to the women who maybe have no idea that there's any other option. Is there something that can be done about that? Yeah, I think you make a great point there. And I think it is a tragedy that 
those um, you know urban centers are where abortions are targeted. And if you look at Planned Parenthood's marketing, they're targeting individuals. Yeah. And what we what we want to do is we want to come alongside and meet all of those people where they are. And that's what I love about what pregnancy centers offer is they they will not only hear a story and give free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests and parenting classes, but they will actually, some of them have a continuum of care opportunities. So they will find out, oh, you don't have a housing that's good for you. you you're in an unstable relationship. You're experiencing domestic violence. And they will actually help women find stable housing, find a safe place to live, find the resources that they need to be able to get a good job. Um, and we have some documentaries on our on our YouTube channel that showcase this. And it is incredible of women who came in, you know, feeling like they had nothing because they couldn't finish their education. And so how could they get a job? They didn't have any money. And the pregnancy centers were able to break all of those barriers off of that that woman. And I've had interviews with many women who've experienced this, who now are thriving, postgraduate, they're, they're business owners now and their mothers. And they they haven't let anything pull them back. Well, that's always good to have those kinds of stories that you can share. And, you know, something else that comes up is why these women choose abortion. There are many reasons, depending on the women, obviously, but external pressure is such a big factor. Can you speak to that a bit? Yes, absolutely. Yes. So another study found that 73.8% of women who had abortions said that they felt pressured to have an abortion. And 58% of them said that they decided to abort to make somebody else happy which I think is so tragic when, wow. when there's, you know, all these conversations about women's rights, women's choice. So many people don't believe they have a choice because other people are pressuring. And that might be parents who have, you know, the, the rights over the house. That could also be a partner for the same reason, you know, and the, they're going to kick out the woman if she chooses life or they're going to stop or withhold financial support for her because she chooses life. So there is sometimes ultimatums placed on women. And so they feel like they have to have an abortion in order to protect themselves, whether it's their livelihood or sometimes even physically. And that, again, is a tragedy. It is. We're going to take a short pause. We'll come back with Natasha Smith. Unplanned Grace is the name of her book. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. Maybe I can just have my baby. It don't matter what nobody said. This is the end of the story of a young mom who planned to end her pregnancy but chose life after visiting a preborn center. Preborn steps into the lives of hurting young women who are being told that a preborn baby is not a life. Preborn is the largest provider of free ultrasounds in the country and the direct answer to Planned Parenthood, helping young moms choose life. I feel like it was meant for me to have this baby. This is something I give me for a reason. You can be a part of choosing life with young hurting women across the country. Would you join with Preborn and Janet Mefford today to help save 
400 babies by the end of the year. For $140, you can sponsor five ultrasounds and help save five babies from abortion. And now, through a match, your gift of $140 will actually help save 10 babies instead of five. All gifts are tax deductible. To donate, dial 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229. 855-402-2229. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford for Bible League International. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. These words written early in John's Gospel remind us in this Advent season that God sent His Son to be our Lord and Savior. But many Christians in Asia, Africa, Latin America, and the Middle East have never read those words or the Christmas story in Luke 2. Why? Because they have no access to the Bible. So in this season of giving, please join Bible League in sending God's Word to bible believers around the world for only five $5 or $50 for 10 Bibles, $500 for 100. Call 800-YESWORD. That's 800-YES-WORD. Or there's a Bible League banner at JanetMefford.com. I've seen people being changed by reading the scripture. There are those who have been looking for the scripture for a number of years. Giving a Bible to somebody is the greatest gift you can give somebody in life. That's 800-YESWORD. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Welcome back. Natasha Smith is joining us from the nonprofit ministry Save the Storks. And she and Brittany Smith are out with a book, Unplanned Grace, a compassionate conversation on life and choice. There are so many different angles we can take on the abortion issue, but certainly as Christians, it is incumbent upon us to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ to those who are in crisis and facing the issue of abortion, both before and after. And Natasha, this is something else that I think isn't often discussed enough, and that is how women deal with abortion after the fact. I have heard a lot of testimonies from women talking about their abortion regret and how you know they, they were absolutely devastated when they recognized that they had taken the life of their child or had hired somebody to take the life of their child. How do we minister to women who are post-abortive? And what are some effective ways of ministering to those women? That is a wonderful question. And, and there's, there's so much to it, and we might not be the experts, and that's that's where sometimes these things feel so big. Like, how could we be involved? Well, that is again where the local pregnancy center can help you. They often offer after abortion counseling, healing programs, Bible studies, or they have that curriculum that they could offer within your church, and and your church could become a place of healing because one in four women by the age of forty five will have had an abortion, and so that's happening all over, all of our neighbors. And so we have to be sensitive to this reality. And so uh, Support After Abortion is an organization that has a full array of various ways of engaging women, because some people just need a one-on-one conversation. Others need a group setting to know that they're not alone, because the reality is so many others have experienced this. And it is a painful a painful experience. And we, we know by the grace of God that there's healing and there's wholeness. Right. And, and so I think the biggest lie that we're fighting against is that isolation of the pain that you're feeling is 
is unique to you versus, uh, and it's, it's something that you just have to live with versus the reality of you're not alone and Christ has come to make us all whole. And we, yeah. we all need that grace applied to our lives. For sure. Now, when we turn the discussion to what churches are doing, you had one statistic in your book that was really alarming. There were more than one, obviously more than one statistic that was alarming in the book. But in the spring of 2019, you note that only 4% out of 50,000 sermons delivered at 6,000 American churches address the topic of abortion. That's a very small number. Why? Why aren't we talking about abortion from the pulpit? Why are our pastors not addressing this issue more boldly, do you think? Oh, man, it's because it's so hard. It's so sensitive. And it's seen as political. And so it's hard to engage conversations when it's seen as political. And that's what we really want to help shift is this is a conversation that is deeply personal. And even though it's messy, Jesus never stopped short of engaging people who were experiencing very difficult, very messy things. And he heard them, he saw them, he met them where they were, but it's a hard thing. And so we really want to help equip pastors and equip churches with the resources to have a compassionate approach. I think the the history, like you you opened the program with, you know, the history of being judgmental or angry, um, being applied to pro-life, even though that's not true, that's the assumption. And so I think that that sometimes that's a hurdle pastors have to get over is that when they talk about pro-life, this is not a judgmental, a shaming conversation. This is actually a place of saying how valued that individual woman is, that man is, that unborn child or the born child, how valued every single individual is because we're made in God's image. So it's a perfect place for the gospel to shine. Yep. And if we can focus on that, I think that will unlock the, the, the doors so that pastors can engage this more fully. Yeah. And you know, there's another subject that goes along with this, and I don't often hear this discussed, and I'm curious for your take on this. But the church struggles, I think, not only because it's a sensitive subject, but because the whole subject of sexual immorality is a sensitive subject. You don't hear a lot of pastors addressing individual sexual immorality, you know, whether or not it's premarital sex or adultery or homosexuality. There are a lot of pastors who just prefer not to go there. But don't those issues go hand in hand, maybe in different sermons? But wouldn't you also be advised as, you know, a pastor over a congregation that given the statistics on abortion and premarital sex inside the church, that those things are both important to address because there are a lot of people who also have never heard, hey, listen, don't have sex until you get married, which is the Christian position. What are your thoughts on that whole issue? That is a great point. Yes. And I think that how it has been framed historically, or, you know, maybe even in the last 30 years with the purity culture has kind of made this assumption of, Christianity is a list of don'ts, you know, Mm -hmm. versus the beautiful story of what God has invited us into so that we have a capless, abundant, joy-filled life. And He wants us to thrive in ways that we can't imagine. And we sell ourselves short when we don't follow that beautiful plan that He has orchestrated for us as humans. And sex is a part of that in in a, a sequence in a story that he has designed that's amazing. And so I think that we need to reframe it in a positive light and showcase where it is beautiful and so good. 
and not just put it as do's and don'ts. Because what, what has happened, I think, in our culture is this assumption, well, first of all, with purity culture of, well, if you, you, you know, you make a mistake once, well, now, now everything is lost. Mm-hmm. And instead of a chastity idea of, you know, you, there, you can make a decision now to change how you're living and, and starting today, you know, we yeah. can do better in yeah. the future because Christ is with us. And the church needs to be addressing this because if we aren't, who, where, where are we all learning about sex? It's going to be from culture right. and culture and even Planned Parenthood is paying to get their messages into the media. And so we're being influenced by ideas that are shaping how we live in ways that lead to abortion and lead to broken lives and broken marriages and so all the brokenness around us. So the church needs to be the place that's addressing these issues. And yeah, it might be uncomfortable, but we have to be reminded of what that holistic story of God's goodness is. Right. and find ourselves within that. Well, and that's the point, too. And it's a shame that that you do hear some stories of, you know, excess during the purity culture discussions, because purity is what we should be aiming for out of love for Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. But obviously, if you turn it into a legalistic, you know, sledgehammer coming down on people's heads who maybe not even are Christians yet, they just go to church and they don't know Jesus Christ. You're right. You have to really handle that with care. And that's important. So when you're mm-hmm. looking at the church in particular, what kind of pro-life ministries should the church be involved in? Obviously, there are a lot of different directions that you could go. There are a lot of churches I know that are involved with pregnancy resource centers, for example. But what are some other practical things that churches can do to really support the pro-life cause and support the women who are affected by abortion, as well as the men, the fathers of those children? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, that's a great question. And and our number one call to action for churches is to get connected to the pregnancy center because the church might not be the resident expert on all of these different facets of an unplanned pregnancy, but that pregnancy center is. And so they can help the church develop uh, more ministries as, as uh, needed. Yeah. But one great organization that we really love is Embrace Grace. And they will help churches create studies that talk about identity, value, worth, and just really lead, like help women who are, fate, who are currently in an unplanned pregnancy experience the love of God. And so your church can be part of throwing a baby shower for her and, and just coming alongside her as part of a family that maybe she has never experienced had a support system. And so for the church to be a support system to her is a really powerful thing. So Embrace Grace is a great organization. I think if churches can partner with their pregnancy center to offer after abortion recovery and that kind of healing program would be powerful to offer a retreat and to give women in their congregation an open door to healing that maybe they have never felt they were maybe even worth enough to find healing. That's a huge opportunity as well. And then a big thing that no one ever talks about is men's ministry, to come alongside men and offer mentorship because so many 
men who are in this kind of scenario have never had a good role model or haven't had a dad. And so for godly men to come alongside other men and just to help them grow and understand what it means to be a good father, a good husband, a good man in general, that will have a huge ripple effect on our society. Very, very good. Well, there's more in Unplanned Grace, a compassionate conversation on life and choice by Brittany and Natasha Smith, who's been with us. And we really appreciate it, Natasha. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. God bless. All right. God bless you, too. Thanks again for being with us. Thank you for joining us on Janet Meffer today, and we'll see you next time.